Welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network's live 2020 election coverage, focusing on what organized labor is doing throughout the United States to ensure all votes are counted and labor's voice is heard. Reporting will be based on contributions from our national network of members. Views expressed do not represent official positions of the network. The Labor Radio Podcast Network has over 70 labor-focused shows in four countries and serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. You can follow the conversation with the hashtag LaborRadioPod, where we are broadcasting working people's voices 24 hours a day. All right, folks. Thank you, Evan, and uh, welcome back. Hour two of the Labor Radio Podcast Network's election 2020 uh, live stream coverage. Uh, if you're just tuning in, I'm Chris Garlock. I'm with Union City Radio in Washington, D.C. Uh, let's just do a quick uh, go around the horn, introduce the rest of the uh, cast of characters here. Uh, <laughs> that's emphasis on the characters. Uh, speaking of characters, Jeremy. Yes, sir. Uh, Jeremy Waugh, host of the Break Time Breakdown. We are based out of uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and affiliated with the Sheet Metal Workers Local 110, um, Smart Sheet Metal Air Rail and Transportation Union. I think uh, I think we had, if I'm not mistaken, I think we had one of your uh, maybe former presidents who was uh, who was watching on the stream, or maybe still is. I'm not sure. So, oh uh, yeah, yeah, check that out. All right. Uh, we'll come back to you in just a second. All right, uh, going around on my screen anyway. Uh, David, you're up. Hey, good evening once again. David Story with the Valley Labor Report out of Huntsville, Alabama. Okay, thank you, David. And Patrick. This is Patrick Dixon from the Labor History Today podcast coming to you from Arlington, Virginia. <laughs> and in Texas, Brother Lance. Gene Lance, Workers Beat program, which plays on KNON.org at nine o'clock every Saturday All right. in Dallas, Texas. One of the, uh, one of the few other call-in shows, uh, I think uh, yours and mine might be the only call-in shows in the network, if I'm not mistaken, Gene. So right on, brother. <laughs> Alan Weirdak. Hey, everybody, this is Alan Weirdak, a contributing member of the Labor History Today podcast, coming to you from the very comfortably blue Montgomery County, Maryland. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And our producer extraordinaire, Evan. Welcome, everyone. I see there's 28 people watching right now. So Ooh. that's great for our you know, second night after our dry run. Not yesterday. bad. Not bad. And uh, my name's, I've already mentioned Evan Papp, and I'm with uh, Empathy Media Lab. It focuses on labor, political economy, arts, and culture, and it's in Prince George's County, right outside Washington, D.C. And uh, Evan is doing a great job because we were just about right on time for hour one. So <laughs> well done. <laughs> I, was, I mean, we had uh, really unexpected, Chris. I know. Some good, some really good guests there, and and uh, it's, it's uh, actually we'll just uh, try and bring some of those back, uh, some of those folks back tomorrow. Uh, got, I wanted to just uh, before we've got some really good uh, content lined up, including some music, and I'm I'm kind of feeling a need for some music personally. Is that get, get, get an amen on that? You guys are good with that, but uh, let me uh, 
we'll, uh, you can fire up some music. Uh, I wanted to, uh, David, talk a little bit about the Valley Labor Report for people that uh, might not have tuned into it just yet. Yeah, so the Valley Labor Report is a kind of like Gene is a weekly uh, radio show we do live on WVNN in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, we also stream it live on Facebook, uh, YouTube, Twitter, and uh, we do a little bit of call-ins. The uh, Alabama AFL-CIO, we picked up a sponsorship from them last week that's uh, – that we, we pretty much rely on uh, local unions to help pay for the airtime as purchase airtime on the radio. So they gave us the opportunity by sponsoring us to do uh, a once a month call in show for all the listeners out there. So hopefully we can uh, talk to some of the, some of the listeners in the area and, and inform them on uh, the good, uh, the good gospel of, of unionism. That's right. I forgot because you guys are calling show too, and it's it's a it's a live calling show, which is a real sort of interesting animal, isn't it? I mean, you just never know what's gonna what's gonna gonna happen. Considering that we are on the station that airs Limbaugh and all of these <laughs> other folks, uh, needless to say, it can it can be quite challenging at times, and uh, because the uh, uh, the FCC. FCC holds us responsible for what goes out on the air. We have to be very uh, particular about who we choose because I've had some flavorful words whenever I picked up the phone because of us libtards uh, broadcasting on this conservative radio station. It's just because you're slightly to the left of Attila the Hunt, right? Slightly to the left. Yeah, I'm probably, uh, yeah, quite a bit more to the left than most <laughs> in the state. Which brings me to Jeremy, uh, sort of a similar similar situation with the with the breakdown breakdown breakdown. Yeah, well, not not really. I mean, uh, so I do a podcast. I didn't say that earlier for anyone that didn't know that, and so I'm I'm protected <laughs> because I do I don't have to worry about random calls or anything like that, mm -hmm. uh, and I can edit out uh, things and and whatnot. I don't do anything live. We don't stream or anything like that, but. Uh, um, yeah, but you know, being in the, what would be considered the South, mm -hmm. uh, and, and in these red States, yeah, we do for sure run into, um, uh, opposing points of view for sure within the, the general, uh, citizens of Kentucky, as well as the, the membership. Um, but we're, we're doing our best to, to get our, our message out and to, uh, hopefully, the, the end game would be to help our members understand why we operate the way we operate and, and we, and we ask for their support with things that we ask them for their support on. So, you know, it's not just because of, uh, you know, real basic, simple reasons. There's, there's deep reasons and there's a lot of effort and energy put into when we uh, are, are asking them to either uh, give a vote to someone or something or, uh, you know, come out and, and help us with a project or whatever, whatever it's, it's, there's more to it than just, um, you know, what you see on the surface, there's, there's a lot more involved to it. So we're trying to, uh, um, educate, uh, and, and just get information out that we feel has been missed somewhere along the way. And I know that, uh, you'd really start the podcast as another way to engage your membership and mm -hmm. in fact, 
as I understand it, you've got more people listening to the podcast than show up to union meetings now. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's so that, I mean, take that how you will. I'd love to see everybody in person, you know, but Absolutely. Uh, if, they, if they're, if they're tuning in to hear what we have to say, then at least, at least we know uh, it is getting out. The message is getting out, you know? Um, so it's been, uh, it's been a fun project. And uh, jumping over, you know, uh, uh, Gene, I lived in, in uh, Texas, although I lived in Austin, which some would argue is, is uh, you know, <laughs> it's its own state. Uh, you're, of course, in Dallas, which is uh, probably more typically Austin, uh, Texas, although I've been all over Texas, and I don't think there's any really typical Texas, but that's my point of view. Talk a little bit about your show. Well, the Workers' Beat is a call-in show. We follow a two-hour religious show and uh our audience is nearly all african-american uh and mostly wants to talk about civil rights and no matter what other topic may be brought up uh it's going to turn to civil rights pretty quickly but and that's a good thing because civil rights is right at the very center of the whole argument in the united states and always has been when you think about it no, it's true. And, and uh, I know what you mean, because, you know, on my uh, call-in show, it, it doesn't matter what topic you, you key up, people talk about what they want to talk about. So you gotta, you, you pretty much have to follow that. So that's one of the, uh, the joys of, of doing a, uh, a live show. All right. Uh, this is, of course, the Labor Radio Podcast Network, a live stream uh, election coverage. And I see my sister from... Uh, <laughs> Elise Bryant, and about about as much in the flesh as I get to see Elise these days, you know, at least- I feel bad. I, I feel bad about that. I really I know. Because anybody who knows the two of us, and, and, you know, of course, the labor movement, we all love hugging, but Elise and I, we, we hug everybody and everything. Oh, like, and, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> virtual hugs, virtual hugs. And to you, of course, as well, Yanira, good to see you too. Hi, Yanira. Hey, sister, how are you? Thank I'm, you, Chris. I'm great. I'm great. Glad so, to be here with you guys. Hello. So, I introduce you, uh, Yanira, of course, the uh, president of the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement. Uh, we all just say LACLA. And, and uh, Elise, uh, uh, a person of many hats. Uh, <laughs> I, I asked her to come on uh, today in her wearing her. Uh, uh, Flu, her coalition of labor union women had. You, you were looking to see which one I was going <laughs> to <laughs> If it was the Labor Heritage Foundation or something else. But uh, no, so we really wanted to, to talk about obviously the labor women's vote and the, uh, the Latin American or Latinx. Or I'm not actually sure what the correct term is these days. I was reading some story that said that there's a very small percentage of us that use Latinx. So educate me, sister, educate me. Well, to tell you the truth, as, as, as a, uh, as a some of the generations know, so younger generations than myself, and I'm in my 50s, is Latinx. And applied that there's no difference between men, women, preference and sex and all that, which I respect very much. My generation was still identifying ourselves with respect mutually. It's like when you use Hispanic and Latino, no? <laughs> it's the same thing. So, hey, look, nobody is going to try to charge you a bottle of tequila for that. Okay. All right. All right. 
Well, talk a little bit about, I mean, there's been, I mean, you know, the Republicans have been trying to make inroads into uh, the Latin American uh, vote, you know, in general, and, and probably the labor vote. I mean, we, we know uh, there, there's plenty of union members who voted for Trump last time. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, do you have a sense uh, of what's going on uh, with, with the, uh, I'm just gonna say Latinx uh, uh, labor vote these days? Well, I, you know, I, well, it's challenging, no, because of, uh, we don't have clear specific numbers on that to, mm -hmm. to start with that. Uh, but I think every single union had make an extra effort to reach out to their members. Uh, I mean, we know that we, we, we've been getting ready for this one. So and that includes those unions. They have a big representation of Latinos and immigrants and their, uh, and their membership. Mm -hmm. That's a reality. So uh, I come from the from the building trades, and I can tell you that my union, Layuna, has been doing a lot of work communicating in the language that they need to communicate on the issues that are really affecting us as union members, but also our community, um, as it has been the AFL-CIO. Uh, but beside what our unions have been doing, I think it has been a challenge for the Latino community and the immigrant community to re really reach out. Uh, why am I bringing the immigrant community? Many people will say immigrants, they don't vote. Well, you know, uh, there is a, um, a child of an immigrant family that's turning 18, mm -hmm. I believe, every so many seconds. No? And so they're ready to vote. And um, what happens in Latino community or immigrant community, I'm sorry, is, is because we, haven't, we have not practiced because we're not allowed to vote. Our children doesn't see it. So it has been a very conscious and targeted efforts to reach out to younger generations. And that's what you can see now in Arizona and you can see in Texas. No, mm -hmm. so if Arizona, if we, I mean, in Arizona, Biden ended up winning, uh, or there's a change there, and it is because younger generation of Latino, uh, first generation Latino immigrants here will vote for that, and they have made the change. They have been through four years of hell, like <laughs> everybody else, no, and right. so they've seen it. They grew up. Remember, uh, when Arpaio was in, uh, there, there was a lot of young people from high school and college actually getting active. Texas is the same story, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of younger Latinos is that. Uh, what is true about the Latino vote is that we now monolithics. I hope I'm saying that correctly in English. Yep. <laughs> um, that um, we know it's, it's different. It's different between the Mexican American community, Central American community, and uh, the, the communities that come in to, to Florida, specifically Miami. Because if you go to Orlando, that's a Puerto Rican community. Right. That it is, and I can make the argument for the uh, Puerto Rican community is about investing in new voters. The Miami community is uh, communities that you mentioned something. I think uh, whatever happens in the United States affects Latin American a lot, and I happen to believe that the ways of immigrants have been because of laws and they have been passed and affected us very much. And so many of the people that actually leave their countries and come precisely to Miami, welcome, as people that have very high incomes back in our countries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's a reality. So you can find that. And there has been a lot of misleading information, like accusing uh, Vice President Biden to being a socialist. I mean, right. come on, we're in this group. 
we all know that reality. But people, I mean, it's misleading in Spanish media. So you can see from that. So in 2016, close to 20% of Latinos decided to stay home for some reason or another. We have seen that changing. And that's what you see now in places like Arizona, Texas, North Carolina is another one where the Latino is playing a role beside your traditional uh, hubs like California, New York, and Chicago. And so uh, Michigan is the other one. So th that's what I can tell you where we can see this new wave of work. Well, that sets up my question for Elise perfectly because Elise, you know, uh, honestly, uh, we know we had a similar uh, lack, uh, lack of enthusiasm, uh, uh, you know, last time around, uh, you know, for, for Hillary uh, in, in, in some sectors that we thought would be more enthusiastic. Um, and so I'm curious, I guess, same question to you. What are, what are we seeing? And I know that, that the Coalition of Labor Union Women uh, has been really doing a lot of phone banking to turn out the labor women vote. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah. Uh, well, as, as all the constituency groups of the AFL-CIO, the women pushing, everybody's on it 24-7. It's like it's nonstop. Uh, and we've, we've had a couple of, um, uh, you know, phone banking uh, adventures just for clue. But in terms of the data, I mean, we know that in um, 2016 that it was something like 51 percent of white women voted for um, Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that figure is going to change uh, as well as the increase in numbers of um, women who are voting. I, I think that we, we saw it from the, we started with the Women's March in 2017 after he got elected, is that, you know, women were fired up and they had, I remember the Washington Post did a number of uh, interviews and articles on women who hadn't voted, who felt right. like, you know, it just wasn't that important, but then woke up, you know, on January 1st and went, oh my God, what, what happened here? Let's get it. Uh, so basically, you know, we're, we're finding that it's, the, it's been very receptive. Um, and I think the last polling that we heard from the AFL-CIO Women's Committee uh, was that it had changed um, quite favorably uh, to, the, to the Democratic side as opposed to the Republican side. Uh, and so I, I feel like there's just people, I know that women are very, very engaged. And when I went to the Women's March um, uh, that they had just a, a little while ago, back there a week or so ago, it was, you know, I, I was, well, I think I was one of the oldest people there. Mm -hmm. I, I was with Yanira and Patty, right? And so our little cluster, you know, was like, oh my God, you know, and it was just a sea of young women with the most fabulous signs um, that, uh, that, was, that was triggering. And I thought about that and I thought about the march that they had um, against violence in the schools. And again, that was, a, that was a lot of women, but it's also very mixed. And I think that we're gonna see that turnout very high. Uh, and particularly for women of color. So I know we've got some questions from uh, some of our other uh, radio hosts, uh, and I think Patrick, you were you were up next. Go ahead. Thank you. I work with a lot of uh, young students of colour at Georgetown University, and if I briefly take us back to uh, about the fall of 2019, they were engaged. They're very engaged in politics. They were very engaged in the Democratic primary, and one of the candidates they least wanted to win was Joe Biden. 
in England we'd say he had a lot of baggage. I don't think me saying this is going to put anyone off voting for him now, but they would talk about the deportations that took place under President Obama. They'd gone back and they'd read about the crime bill. Some had gone back and read about Anita Hill, and they weren't impressed by him. Now, since then, we've seen the Trump campaign try to mobilize the crime bill and use that as a weapon against Biden. Um, but, I mean, for whatever, I, I suppose my question in a way is, has Joe Biden done enough to deserve their support? Has he, I know that many people will come out because they're civically minded and they hate Trump and they want to be engaged in politics. But has, Biden, has Biden's campaign sort of cautious as it has been, has it done enough to earn the votes of these young people, do you think? Um, who do you want to go first? Uh -huh. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Yeah. Tough, tough question, Patrick. Uh, hey, look, as the Trump effect, I think that um, the reality is that if Joe Biden wins, we know we have to get ready to fight for our agenda. That's the reality. No, everybody knows that. And I think younger people knows that. But let me tell you, when you got 20% of Latinos holding back in 2016, but then you come in 2020, I mean, one out of three Latinos are somehow affected by the pandemic. We don't have health insurance. We have lost many jobs because of the industry that we work. And this is both Latinos and immigrants, okay? Uh, and then on 20, in 2018, we suffer the worst attack on Latino community with the massacre in Texas. And what do we receive? And what was that? And then in 2017, we uh, see our families being separated because although we're immigrant family is an effect on the community, uh, children in cages. And then you go to 2016 when the opening of that was accusing Mexican to be rapists and all everything else that he said that although it was for Mexicans, but it was directly to brown people who didn't speak the language in this country. So all of that, I think in that, it play a role in that generation. And we know, and we say something, at least we're gonna have somebody that is not gonna get up every single morning to try to screw us, no? Uh, it's somebody that if we have to organize, is a reality. I'm sorry, we're in the radio here. It's a reality, we have to organize in order to move our agenda, but it's not going to every day trying to actually play with our lives. And I think it's a clear message. So that's why I call it the Trump effect. Well said, Yanira. And two things. First of all, you come out of the trade, so you talk however you want. And secondly, we're on Facebook, so we have no <laughs> okay. FCC looking over our shoulder. We can say whatever the hell we want. <laughs> Over to you, Elise. And you can say whatever the hell you want, too, <laughs> and, and will. I think that um, I, I've been really impressed with uh, the next generation folks that I've met through um, Democratic Socialists of America. Mm -hmm. uh, and I haven't been so much in, in touch with the, with the young folks on campus. But clearly, and I, and I think this was true last time as well, because a lot of college-educated uh, folks were going towards um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fart just went in my head. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Bernie. Oh Bernie, thank you. <laughs> Getting old up here. Uh, uh, going for Bernie, and it was and it was clear. And my one of my my nephews, uh, who had just gone off to college, and his mother said she was just shocked that he was going to vote for Bernie Sanders. And he was like, because Bernie's talking about the things that he's interested. In. He's talking about you know tuition free, you know uh, college educations, and. 
I think that there's, there's that element, but I also saw, see the element that was deep, are deeply involved in the Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. uh, movement as well. And they're, and they're charged up in a way that, no, Joe, Joe Biden is, is not like, <laughs> no, I don't think anybody's getting up in the morning going, Joe Biden, yeah, that's where I am today. <laughs> Uh, that's what and, you were doing, and, at least. I was pretty sure you were waking up every morning and just, rawr, Joe Biden. I could see it. <laughs> I'll, I'll confess this. I watched the Frontline uh, documentary on, on, on Biden and uh, Trump, and okay. I know it actually made me uh, look at both of them as, as, as human beings who put on their drawers one leg at a time, mm. more so than I had before. Okay. Uh, but I think, that, I think that we're in this compromised situation where, I, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't vote for Joe Biden. I didn't vote for him, you know, any other time. Um, but this, the, they're trying, the Democratic Party is appealing to the middle, right? That, and that's the mushy middle that won't come out uh, unless, they're, unless they're feeling like they're assured that that's going to happen. The African-American vote went down after Barack Obama's second term, went way down for 2016. Same thing for Latinx vote, went down. Asian-Americans stayed up, right? But young people is always the big question mark because I think that that demographic is not polled in enough in, or and we don't have enough information really to say what's going to happen. But um, if, it's, if it's not clear to anybody, and I, I have, I've had this from two uh, young African-Americans who said to me, uh, what, voting doesn't matter. I mean, after all, you, you baby boomers messed everything up. I mean, <laughs> oh, snap. And I was like, social security, baby boomers. Do you know your history? So we had a whole conversation about both of them. And basically, you know, they don't know the history. They don't know, they don't know what civic engagement is about. And, and, and if they're getting any news whatsoever, I don't know where it's coming from. But I think that that's always been, this is my heart and soul. This is what I do for the labor movement, educate. And I think we have to do much, much more of it on the grassroots level for people to really understand what's going on here. And this is no, this is no, this is no, he's, he's not a, he's not an aberration. He's a, he's a result of years and years and years of, of plotting and planning by the right. And they sold it and they found their puppet that they could put up in front to do the talking for him. But nah, not, this is not something that happened out of nowhere. This is the unveiling. This is the apocalypse. That's the Greek word for unveiling, uncovering. And that's what's happened. Speaking of young folks, we've got a couple of them uh, right here that uh, have some questions. Jeremy, uh, you uh, from the breakdown, breakdown, and then uh, and then Evan. So go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, I just wanted to chime in that uh, I, I'm I'm part of that group that initially was not uh, excited about Joe Biden, and mm -hmm. I I I realized early on that I really not I needed to start paying attention to him because it, as it as it, it just as soon as it started to look clear that he was going to be the, the nomination, uh, I, I wanted to be able to be all in on Joe. And right around the time that I uh, started paying attention to him is when he really started pushing unions and labor and put us at, uh, at the top of, of his, his talking points and the top of his agenda. And that mean, that's what means something to me. So we had a bunch of, uh, candidates good bad indifferent whatever but I, I always look to see where labor falls on their priority list and the, the closer we are to, to the top the the more excited i'll get regardless of who the person is i want to hear their message and what they're pushing for and 
Uh, Joe's been coming real hard, uh, pushing organizing, pushing unions, pushing the working class. And so he started speaking to me on a different level. And that's what got me turned around and, and on the uh, Biden-Harris team. Jeremy's out of a smart local, uh, so. <laughs> oh yeah, she, well, I'm, yeah, sheet metal worker, and and Joe's got some some close connections to the sheet metal worker uh, uh, association, smart, um, and and yes, I, I'm also from. Uh, for those who are joining us late, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, so. Uh, <laughs> Ruby yeah. red, Ruby red. Yeah, yeah. So ditch Mitch. <laughs> yeah. uh, Yanira, or at least you want to respond to that before we uh, go on to Evan. No, I, I, I agree with Jeremy. I mean, I think that he did, he did come to the labor movement and has, has made that known, um, which may, moved the needle a little bit more for me. The only thing that I would add is that he was very, um, I think, targeted in, in, in clue when he talked to labor. He talked to different parts of labor, you know, and mm -hmm. included women, and included younger people, and included people of color. And he made that the, the very specific point because it's easy to miss us <laughs> when you talk to labor. <laughs> no, I don't know why it's easy, but it is. So, but he was able to articulate that and, and, and really it, it gained a lot of uh, attention. Uh, I have to say that, um, one, he was vice president because of the Obama. As you know, they deported a lot of people if you come to the issue of immigration, but he was able to make up because of he has been able. At the end of the day, although everybody says Latino community is an immigration issue, in reality, immigration always comes alive with the fourth or the fifth place. It's about jobs, health insurance, housing, education, and all that. So yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Evan Papp, he's with uh, Empathy Media Lab. He's also uh, our executive producer for the broadcast. So anything you like is is uh, is on is on him, and anything you don't like too. So, well, thanks so much for joining us. And I guess I have a comment first, and then going to throw out a question to you and everyone else. And all the polling is showing this is going to be a blowout. And I feel gaslit by a lot of media saying that it's close, where it's only going to be close with voter suppression, from my point of view. I mean. They've made, uh, there's postal issues in Pennsylvania. There was a cross check in 2016 and what's going on this year is much, much worse than what Hillary Clinton faced. And so I think getting through, making sure every vote is counted is obviously the next battle. But once we get Biden in there, you know Wall Street is going to be right there and Wall Street is controlling so much of the finance of this country. And a lot of people went to sleep after Obama came in. And a lot of people, you know, went back to brunch as, as, as the Twitter chat is, is talking right now. And I'm just wondering how we can ensure that labor continues to push Biden and make sure that this, this is an opportunity as well, because so many people are hurting. They're open to new ideas. I think we can have a new deal reconstruction we need $5 trillion to rebuild the entire infrastructure with union um, wage jobs. And it, we may, we're going to see a lot of people say we need austerity. We, we need compromise with the Republicans who just put us through this, this nightmare. And uh, we could see interest rates jacked up like they did with, uh, at the end of Carter's and the beginning of Reagan's uh, era. So I guess what can we do um, with organized labor to keep Biden keep pushing Biden harder than Wall Street and harder than what I would consider these 
reactionaries at best and proto-fascists, um, I think is more accurately describing the Republican Party these days. Ooh, that's a, that's a heavy load to respond to, but I think uh, a lot of right on. And I, I just, I mean, I know, uh, I know Elise has some opinions on this. I'm going to, I'm going to let you take first crack at the, you're on, you're on, uh, you're on mute. Are you pointing at you know, Jeremy? Jeremy had his hand up. I was pointing at Jeremy. Yes. I don't know where it looks like on the screen, but uh, so you have hand up. I didn't he was know. applauding. He was applauding. Oh, oh he was applauding. Ooh. Um, I learned a big lesson with Barack Obama. And, and it was difficult because as, as, a, as, a, as a baby boomer who lived through the assassination of John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and Malcolm X, my greatest fear was that he was gonna be assassinated. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to protect him in that way. And so I found myself not, not being as critical mm. um, as need be. And when people said, you know, we had to keep his feet to the fire, I was like, you know, look, there's enough people trying to put fire on his feet. We don't need to be trying to put his feet to the fire. But that was wrong. Hmm. And it didn't help us. And I really think that, that what I learned from this is that whoever it is, whoever's in the White House, Democrat or Republican, particularly Democrat, we can't let up. We can't assume that what Joe Biden says on the campaign trail is what's going to happen once he's in the White House. Who's going to be... Who's going to be in those appointed positions? Who's going to be at the Department of Labor? Who's doing the Women's Department? All of that, HUD. And so I think that it's going to be on labor to be diligent in that way. And I'm not sure if the current leadership of the AFL-CIO can really do that, but I know that there are other people in the AFL-CIO and other unions who are pushing in that direction. There is that, that energy there that says, like, let's be ready to do a general strike if things don't go the way we need to go. Let's be prepared to do that. And I think that that awareness is, is there and it's not shared, you know, all, all totally, but it's there. I think there's enough energy there. There'll, there'll be a push to say, oh no, we just can't go along with the get along because yeah, I mean, this whole Wall Street, you know, it's not, a, it's not like lightning and thunder. It's not a naturally occurring phenomenon. It's completely controlled by the men who run those organizations. And so that, that's another education piece I think we gotta get to too. I'll stop there. Uh, I think uh, before I go back to uh, Yanira, I said, Jeremy, you had a comment, I think. Yeah, uh, just to kind of piggyback off what Elise said, and uh, the, the reality is we got to understand that the fight's gonna continue no matter who wins. Um, well, obviously we have our pick in this race, but regardless of who wins there's there's a continued fight that has to happen and all point all signs point to joe's going to be the the winner and that'll be great but that doesn't mean we stop fighting it's just a different it's just a different battle that's all uh, but but we gotta we gotta keep pushing we gotta keep pushing and i think the other the other key thing is um people at different levels are are engaging more now so just like this network i mean we're, you know what I mean? We're, we're just a group of people that came together, you know, for, with, with a, with a, um, a common, uh, goal, so to speak, or, or some, some sort of commonality that are, we're using our voice now to, to get a message out. And so this is happening on, uh, we're not just relying on the people at the top to push these messages. Now there's, there's groups forming across the country that are, are, 
or taking on the fight and, and getting more people engaged, getting younger people engaged. And I think that's going to help us, uh, help us out. Plus the lessons learned from, um, with the, the, uh, Barack administration, you know, kind of like Elise had said, we kind of just eased up. We're like, you know, we got, we got our guy in there. Let's, let's let him do his thing. But yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. Let's take a nap. Yeah. That worked out so well for us last time. <laughs> let me let me just point out. I mean, and, and Jeremy makes a really good point. If you look at the the network, which is over seventy members right now, you've got everything from the official podcast of the AFL CIO or or your union. Spart has an official podcast. Uh, now yours is is you know uh, you're you're based out of your local, but there's also we have a, a podcast that's done by some random teamster dude who does it in his truck on his lunch break, and I am pretty sure. He is not approved by his local and certainly not by the international. And so, you know, I think, uh, Yanira, you had said before, you know, just like the, the Latinx community is not monolithic, the labor movement is not monolithic. And if you simply look at this network, you know, we've got this wide range of official voices to very unofficial voices. And it makes for some very interesting listening, I can tell you that. But let me go back to you, Yanira, and see if uh, you want to respond to any of the stuff that's come up. I couldn't agree more for what Elise and Jeremy have said, but I think it's look at, I started in this labor movement as an organizer, it's like organizing the unorganized forces a change. If we organize the younger people, I mean, they're, they're going to force even the established leadership right now in the labor movement to make a change. Um, it's a reality that is true, although Biden is, is, is bringing our issue up, that we need to continue organizing because the numbers that we have right now actually yeah, they're good for an election, but really to continue building power is not. So I think it relies on that, how we push in different sectors in the labor movement come together and continue pushing and organizing and organizing the unorganized, organizing women, organizing the South, organizing immigrant workers, organizing people, minorities, you no, know, and actually bring that those forces together in order to make that, and that will force change. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a I'm a believer that uh, through numbers you bring change, and I think that that will happen. Uh, we need to see it, and the, the labor movement is a challenge for any one of us with different ideas <laughs> and all that. But I think. Thank you, Yanira. Uh, before we let you guys go, uh, David, I know you're an Elise fan. Did you want to jump in, chime in with any other comments? <laughs> No, no, I mean, I didn't really have a comment. I just, I listened to her talk and I'm like, I, I, I'm, I just fell in love with her. So yeah, I just wanted to say, uh, <laughs> thank, thank both, thank both of you so much for coming on, but I really enjoyed uh, uh, listening to Elise because she, she sounds like she's right up my alley with that same mindset, especially with AFL-CIO. <laughs> uh, this is actually... You're, this is actually the edited version of Elise. She's, she's got a lot more. Yes, it is. <laughs> and she doesn't know who might be watching, right? <laughs> well, listen, thank you both so much for, for being thank on the all. show and, and just keep the faith. And, and we're going to want to check in with you tomorrow and see how this is playing out on the ground. But again, mm -hmm. thanks for being with us today. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank all you. Right. Meeting all of you. Marino with a Blessings, lady. everybody. All right, you guys take care. All right, we're gonna go to uh, our next guest, Carlos Fernandez, in just a second. But actually, Evan, I believe you've got a little video queued up, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, I'm actually not sure what it is. You want to set it up? 
Uh, yes, so this is a video I produced a uh, long time ago, and it uh, combines Curtis Mayfield and some words from Martin Luther King. It is four minutes, but it does talk about labor, political, uh, civil rights, and uh, anti-war that uh, Martin Luther King brought together at the end of his life. So it, All right. Uh, let me play it now. I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. The time has come for America to hear the truth about this tragic war that the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who in a period of moral crisis maintain their neutrality there comes a time when silence is betrayal the truth of these words is beyond doubt but the mission to which they call us is the most difficult one. Even when pressed by the demands of inner truth, men do not easily assume the task of opposing their government's policy, especially in time of war. some difficult days ahead but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop I don't mind like anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Now maybe someday you 
piece, Evan. Thank you so much. Really terrific work and uh, fits right in uh, with what we're, we're uh, doing here. All right, next up, Carlos Fernandez. He is out of Chicago, longtime uh, labor organizer. Uh, he's with United Working Families and also Labor Action to Defend Democracy. Uh, Carlos, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be here. It's been a great discussion so far. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you get the lease in the Yanira and you can pretty much just sit back and let that roll. <laughs> Tell us what's, uh, what's happening in the Windy City. As always, lots of good things, good things. Um, uh, right now, you know, we're getting out the vote, that's for sure. Uh, even though it's a blue state, uh, we need to push the envelope wherever we can. And um, we've got a big uh, ballot issue to uh, uh, amend the state constitution to get a progressive state income tax. So that's it, that's actually a tough fight. Um, and uh, we, can't, we can't load up buses of people to go to Iowa or Wisconsin, uh, but we've definitely been making calls and texts out there too. Um, but but we're, you know, we're also working to get ready for what happens the day after tomorrow, you know, in multiple ways. Yeah, and uh, uh, just to, I'll ask you a question, but then we're going to open it up. The rest of these folks are all from uh, various members of the uh, Labor Radio Podcast Network. They all have their own shows, and uh, like me, very, very shy, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> they will ask you, I don't know, any kinds of questions, so be prepared for that. But right. um, but yeah, let's start talking about that. Uh, you know, I said at the beginning, uh, you know, that my hope is that this uh, election be, you know, winds up being a Y2K of an election where there's just a huge landslide and there was just some discussion about that, uh, you know, and, and where we wound up, uh, you know, in a, I was gonna say a good position, but as we, as was just happening in this discussion, you know, even if Biden wins, you know, we're not done. But why don't you talk about uh, the labor action to defend democracy specific plans, and then we can just sort of open it up to the rest of the folks here. Sure, sure. Well, um, the Labor Action to Defend Democracy is a national network. Uh, I believe there's over 100 labor union and labor activists so far that have gotten involved. I'm sure that number is growing by the hour at this point. Um, but um, I think that it comes out um, both the, uh, both LAD and what we're doing here in Chicago, um, and I'm sure in many other places, is getting ready for the reality that um, in no scenario will the current occupant of the White House concede defeat, right, easily, right, and will take any opportunity to, um, to you know, uh, cheat, steal, sow chaos, all of those things. So we have to be ready. So we can, we can believe uh, 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 in the best, that the best things will happen, but we've got to be prepared for the worst possible things. And, um, and I think that's, that's, that's taken a lot of work. Um, and uh, the labor movement, I think, uh, um, the, the labor action to defend democracy has come together because the labor movement and unions in particular um, have, we believe, a, a real special obligation to defend democracy, right? As democratic institutions, as uh, bulwarks uh, against threats to democracy, we really have to lead what would need to be a much wider, wider movement um, if, if the results of tomorrow's election get threatened, right? So, so, the, so the labor action to defend democracy, I think you'll hear more um, from the, uh, the next guest, but but just to say a couple of things there, you know, they're, they're planning nationwide actions. Um, 
they're talking to members, unions are, are, you know, inoculating people, those union organizers out there will know that language, inoculating people about what might happen um, after, after Tuesday, and, and talking about what we might need to do. Um, and I think, and, and so LAD as a network has pulled together a lot of great resources. And here in Chicago, we've been using them. And in Chicago in particular, um, a bunch of unions have been uh, meeting for the past couple of weeks with um, community groups, non-labor groups, um, uh, different kinds of, of, uh, of groups from across the gamut of social movements to prepare um, for the different scenarios that might happen here and in our area, especially with the battleground states of Wisconsin, Iowa, and Indiana within driving distance for us all. Um, so, so we're, we're, we're ready to do actions. We're do, there's actually a Chicago virtual action um, earlier this evening. Um, and, and that was just basically get Trump out. Uh, to, on Wednesday, we've got an action planned um, because we expect if the results of the election are not respected or uncertain or threatened, there will be mobilization immediately, organic mobilization. We want to be ready. And um, in Chicago, we're getting ready for an action uh, on Saturday as well, on the 7th. Um, and we expect that to be big if it's necessary. And, and that's also part of a national preparations. I think protect, uh, protecttheresults.org uh, has a map with a lot of those actions listed, including the Chicago one. So those are the things that we're starting to plan out and also think about what we might need to do besides those things. Okay. And now, Alan, if Alan or Evan can put that protect the vote uh, link up in the chat, that would be good. Um, so Carlos, we'll, we'll begin this. We're, we have about six minutes to the top of the hour when we're going to do a reintro. Uh, we may keep you uh, beyond that because I know Gene's going to join us as well. So this is really more of a conversation starter and I want to open it up to the rest of the folks here. And we kind of started talking about this in the last segment, but I mean, let's, you know, just like, you know, this network is a real range from official podcast to unofficial and rank and file, the labor movement and this network, I was on some of those calls. That network is, um, I'm trying to think of the right, <laughs> it's, it's folks that are all over. I mean, I know that there are some very highly placed folks. I know that there are folks who have, you know, uh, who are not, uh, mm -hmm. just put it that way. Uh, and I know that, you know, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of internationals. The labor movement officially uh, is being very skittish. And I see Gene Bruskin is just joining us. So we'll draw him into this conversation as well. But I think people have been very nervous about talk of a general strike, for example, A, because I don't think people know how to do it. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I mean, let's just be honest. I'm an organizer and, you know, <clears throat> and I've been around for a minute. And, you know, uh, a little bit later on, we're going to have a visit with a guy who's made a movie about a uh, general strike in Winnipeg in 1919. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this is not Europe where they do general strikes, uh, you know, if not all the time, certainly they've done them in, in living memory. And Patrick can talk about this. He knows a bit about it as well. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and open it up. I just wanted to throw that out there because I think that's the conversation that we need to have because, you know, the labor movement is not monolithic. They are not all on board. <laughs> I think a lot of folks are gonna wanna make deals uh, after the election. Um, so I'll let you respond to that and then open it up to everybody else. Sure. Well, I, I mean, I, I believe this might be one of those moments where where alliances will get tested, but new ones will, could also be very quickly forged, right? In the heat of the moment. And we might learn some things that we've 
forgotten, but uh, that are in our memory. I'll just say real quickly uh, to give it back to you um, that we have some recent lessons and, and I'll say, you know, in Chicago, I was active in the uh, mega immigration mega marches, uh, you know, a good 14 mm -hmm. years back. And in Chicago and, and in LA and a few other people, that certainly felt like a general strike. And I wasn't thinking of that uh, when I was involved in the organizing for that. Mm. But I think that there's some okay. lessons there. And the lesson, the main lesson to me is that the workers will lead, the people will lead. And we just need to sort of, in some ways, lead from, from, from behind, you know, lead by supporting, lead by example. And I think, you know, we have to prepare ourselves for that situation as well, you know, and, and we have to sort of also um, avoid the temptation to, to try and get to the front of the march to be uh, to right to 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 to, to break let us, it. Let, let so. us lead. Let me let me get ahead of my followers. <laughs> exactly. So, but Yanira is still is still with us, and I have a feeling you look you nearly look like you have something to say. But let's get you let's get you off a of mute. And then I know Patrick, you want to jump in on this too. No, I just, uh, I mean, agreeing for what Carlos Fernandez had just finished saying, because I think that, I mean, I mean, and I base this in the numbers that we have in the labor movement. Let's take the five for 15, although we know what was behind, but it was different sectors that came together, you know, and we have to respect and recognize that and give leadership. And, uh, and that can be a challenge for the established labor movement. Yes, it can be. Uh, Patrick, quick question, then we're going to do uh, do our little station identification at the top and then reintroduce. So go ahead, Patrick. Certainly, I'll try and be quick. Hi, Carlos. I don't follow all of the ins and outs of Illinois and Chicago politics, but when I do read stories about it, there often seems to be quite a lot of contest between labor unions and uh, the mainstream of the Democratic Party in the state, some of whom, like your governor, perhaps are very wealthy. Then you have the mayor of Chicago, who I understand much of Labour didn't endorse. Now, you might not necessarily be able to agree with them on school budgets, but surely on democracy, this seems to be some area where you can reach some common ground. What sort of support do you feel you have from uh, high-ranking officials in the state? Well, one of the things that we're doing to prepare for the scenarios, the worst case scenarios, is reaching out to those uh, civic leaders, elected officials, and sort of saying, uh, let's make sure we protect uh, the uh, people's right to, to protest, right? And we support that um, because we believe that they will be on our side, um, but we don't want a narrative of, 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 of uh, a narrative of dangerous protest to be used, right? To channel discontent. Um, it, you know, not, so we want that, we believe that nonviolent protests will be the most effective in our goals. Right, but we also don't want um, uh, an attempt to channel the discontent to to sort of to to make this about between us and the police or the civic officials. So we've reached out, we've signed, we've produced a couple of letters signed on to um, a really diverse gamut of labor and community organizations to say work with us. Right, um, but the last few months, especially you know over the summer. Um, have shown that, you know, it's created some tensions. So we'll see, uh, we'll, we'll hope for the best and prepare for less than best. Great, thanks Charles. Uh, Alan, uh, I know you've got to sign off. Did you have any last words before you, uh, before you pop off? 
guess, I mean, this was kind of going back to what um, we were talking about with a bit with Elise, but the one thing that I'm thinking about specifically, specifically with Joe Biden is he's almost branded as equal parts the labor candidate, but equal parts, you know, the Wall Street candidate. So when you break that down, what's the relationship with Joe Biden to organize labor at the managerial level when you think about how, um, you know, some labor leaders are co-opted by management and big business, but also the relationship to the rank and file. I think it's something that we've already addressed um, in terms of, you know, the fact that we're not going to stop marching, rallying, protesting, regardless of who wins the election. But I was just wondering if anyone has thoughts. Um, you kind of addressed that too, of how labor is not, you know, monolithic, but that's what I was thinking about um, prior to signing off here. Okay, thanks, Alan. We'll, we'll hold some responses on that. Uh, so everybody sit tight. Uh, Evan, if we can run our little station ID at the top, and then we will reintro and uh, go into our final hours. Mm -hmm.